All right, if uh, you keep your bulletins open there. Now, uh, the kids in the high schoolers are in the church uh, service this morning, so I've tried to break things up a little bit to make the message a little bit more accessible. So three things I've done. Uh, to help with the concentration, I will pause after 10 minutes and we'll stand and we'll say the creed together uh, and then we'll go for another 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, also in the bulletin, you'll notice that I've actually listed 11 boxes down the side there. That's a bit of a challenge. I'm going to mention today... 11 different sermons we've had in the last 11 weeks on the book of Deuteronomy. But I'm not going to mention them in order, one, two, three, four. I'm going to mention them in different orders according to the passage as we're working through the passage today because there's some links between those themes. So my challenge for the high schoolers, uh, and uh, if you've got bulletins, is to try to get the number order right each time I mention them. I'll draw your attention to them as I mention them. If you don't have a bulletin, I've put some just behind you there. Uh, um, uh, just behind you, there's some bulletins just on the sheet there. So grab those if you haven't got one already. Okay, so that's a challenge, and I'll give you some clues halfway through. Uh, and also, for the high schoolers, I'll call out some questions as I go and see if you can answer some of them as well. All right, so there's a few things. All right, let me pray once again as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your greatness. Uh, you are our rock. Uh, all you do is perfect and all your ways are just. You are a faithful God who does no wrong. As our creator, your hands made us and formed us. And may we be people who take to heart what your word is saying to us this day. To know that these are not just idle words, but that they are our life. Amen. Uh, transition, change, changing circumstances, changing bodies, changing family dynamics as children grow up too fast, changing addresses, schools, workplaces perhaps. Getting changed can be a challenge, especially when there's four seasons in one week. Can you believe the weather this week? It's been a crazy, crazy kind of week, maybe because of climate change perhaps. But uh, as we are all surrounded by constant change, how do we cope with change? What's going on with all this change? Now, 12 weeks ago, on the 23rd of July, we started exploring this book in the Bible called Deuteronomy. In that first sermon, sermon number one, there you go, sermon number one, clue number one, nice and easy, I said these words in sermon number one. Over these 12 weeks, we will journey together as we discover what God has in store for us individually and together. Key questions for us to ask are, Am I prepared to go where God is leading me? Are we, willing to be, are we going to be willing to take hold of all that God has prepared for us? How is the Aussie expression, yeah, nah, going to play out in our lives? Yeah, I agree, God, but nah, I'm not willing to listen. Well, those were some of the questions. I asked 12 weeks ago on the 23rd of July, and at a practical level, I encouraged you to reflect each week during the series what God was inviting you to say yes to and what he was challenging you to say no to as we make choices to follow him. Now, I printed out a sheet to help you with that. I'm not sure if anyone used that at all. I, don't, I won't ask just in case nobody did. I tried to, um, but I was, wasn't as consistent as I initially set out to be. Um, but I managed to write a few things down on the sheet of paper that I gave you 12 weeks ago to try to reflect on some of the things. Uh, but how's the term been for you this past term, term three? 
uh, as we've travelled through Deuteronomy. A lot's been going on in your life and there's a lot been going on in the book of Deuteronomy and we've only really touched uh, on it. We haven't gone in as much as we could have. So at the end of the series, 12 weeks on, it's time to reflect about where God has been leading you, where God has been leading us. So let's revisit some ground we have covered uh, as, as well as reflecting on these final few chapters. And now from the beginning of the Bible, we know that God designed a place for people to live and gave instructions on the best way to live there. And as the first of God's created people, Adam and Eve, in effect said to God, yeah, we hear what you're saying, but no, we're not going to listen, as the song uh, reminded us. And they gave up the privilege of enjoying God's good design for their lives. And the rest of the Bible is a search for how God's people can once again be living in God's place and enjoy the blessings of his rule. And that search in the Bible leads us to three promises that God made to an obscure man who had no kids called Abraham. Promises of a great nation living in God's place under the blessing of God's rule. Now eventually Abraham did have a kid in his old age. First question for the high schoolers, what was the name of Abraham's son? Isaac. Yes, Isaac, well done. Uh, Isaac, as in that's the answer. That's not the person I'm asking to answer the question. Yeah, Isaac, too easy, an easy question there. And his descendants became a great nation, one promise fulfilled. Now, in a mighty show of power, you remember that God redeemed them from slavery in what country? You can just call the answer out. Egypt, that's right. And he brought them into a land to possess where they could live under the blessings of God's rule. Promises 2 and 3, about to be fulfilled. And then on their road trip to the promised land, they had a stopover. Now, on your school holidays, anybody been travelling in the school holidays? Where do you normally stop over on your road trips? Did anybody say Maccas? Yes, and usually it's Maccas. Okay, we like to stop over at Maccas. I thought you'd say that. Now, the Israelites didn't have a stopover at Maccas, of course, but they stopped over at a place called Mount... Sinai, that's right, Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, as the book of Deuteronomy calls it. Not because it's horrible, but it's just called Mount Horeb. So when you hear the word Mount Horeb, think Mount Sinai. Now, what was famous about Mount Sinai? What are some of the things you can think of that were related? Yes, Andrew. Uh, so, uh, where Moses met with God. Yep, that's a good one. Yeah, anything else? Uh, somebody else? Something to do with what's on the back wall here? They received something, two tablets of stone. Ten commandments, that's right, okay. The Ten Commandments were handed down on Mount Sinai. And that's where sermon number four, here we go, number four on chapters four and five, restated the Ten Commandments as Mike came and unpacked it for us. So it's a useful piece of knowledge to know where are the Ten Commandments found in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter five or Exodus chapter 20. Now, in the kid spot, remember, Ed taught us the Ten Commandments by using our fingers on one hand. Do you remember when he taught us that? No other God, no, no image of God, don't misuse the name of God, um, the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. Uh, from number five, who remembers number five? Something to do with honour your father, mother and father. What about number six, using this? Do not... Murder, that's right, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not 
still do not or close do not lie it's crooked do not lie and do not covet yeah do not covet as in you want what something else has uh, and that was the five. Then in sermon number seven, do you remember sermon number seven? Here we go on chapters eight to 11, Mount Sinai was mentioned again. And this time Sam preached for us and explored on what it means to remember and respond to God's blessing. And one of the th phrases that stood out for me uh, when Sam preached was he, he used the word remember the context. Remember the context of the Ten Commandments was an existing relationship. Obeying the Ten Commandments is a response to what God has already done for us. We love God through obedience because God first loved us. So I wrote down uh, that particular week in my reflections, say yes to remembering the context. Always remember the context of the Ten Commandments. So when we see when we see them written on the back wall, we don't actually see the context written. We just see the Ten Commandments. So when you do see them written there, let's remember uh, there is a context. There's a relationship that comes first. And then the commandments are in response to that relationship. Well, after their stopover at Mount Sinai, the people move even closer to the Promised Land and they're on the cusp of entering into it. And that's where the book of Deuteronomy comes into play. And so that brings us to sermon number one. Sermon number one on chapters one, verses one to seven. Uh, and Deuteronomy is made up of two words, we found out. The word second and the word law. But it wasn't a second law as such as in the Ten Commandments plus a second law. It was the second explanation of the law and its implications for the second generation. The implications of the Ten Commandments on the second generation. And this is done through a series of sermons that Moses gives to the people. Uh, three sermons altogether. Now, why did Moses need to give these sermons to the second generation? Why was even the book of Deuteronomy needed in the first place? Well, that's where sermon number two, number two, sermon number two comes in on chapters one to three came in. Moses gave them a history lesson about God's provision. And sadly, the people continued to say, yeah, God, we hear you, but nah, we're not going to listen. And instead of trusting God, the first generation who came out of Egypt looked at the challenges of their situation through the limitations of their own grey-coloured glasses was the expression that we used. And remember in chapter 1, they grumbled in their tents. That's the expression. They grumbled in their tents and they made foolish assumptions about God that were not true and they even went to the point of saying the Lord hates us that's an assumption they made that the Lord hated them and then we saw those tragic words tragic tragic words we turned back on the edge of the promised land and they turned back They couldn't go in. And we were challenged to consider how we deal with the, the disappointments in life when things don't go to plan, when we make foolish decisions, when we don't listen, and when life takes us in an unexpected direction, into the wilderness rather than the promised land kind of direction. 
And in those times, we may be tempted to think that maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe God does hate us, that we are a lost cause, that there's no hope for the future. But we also saw in the same passage, it included the words, now turn north. Now turn north. They could once again turn towards the promised land, the next generation, and the wilderness was not the end of the story. Regret and fear didn't need to have the last word in their lives. Personally, I found this passage had quite an impact on me and I, I also wrote down in my reflections, I need to stop saying, I need to say no to making assumptions about God. And I need to say yes to looking at God's track record of trustworthiness to remind myself of what God has revealed about himself and that God does not hate me, but has sent Jesus to die for me. Now, one way to remind ourselves of God's track record, of course, is reading the scriptures, but also reminding each other when we gather together by reminding each other of what it is actually we, what we believe. And we're going to actually stand, uh, pause now, we're going to stand and do that in the words of the Apostles' Creed. It's a reminder of who God is and what it is uh, that we believe. But as we, try, as we say this together, uh, you've said it for some of you thousands of times, uh, hundreds perhaps. Um, let's try to avoid going through the motions as we read this. Um, just try to pause and just reflect as we're going through uh, and try to just um, think about what the significance of these words are. Uh, so um, you can say it at your own pace and if we're out of, out of tune, that's okay. <coughs> Um, but we'll stand and say this together. So, brothers and sisters, uh, let's stand. Yeah. And let me ask you, uh, what, do we, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. All right, how are you going with your sermon order so far? There's five I think I've mentioned, and this is what I've mentioned. Check to see if I've got the order right. Number one, four, seven, one, two. Is that the same as what you got? One, four, seven, one, two. That's how we're going so far. We'll see how we go at the end. Now, where are the people up to? Where are the people up to now? Look at their sobering situation as we look at chapter 1 in a bit more detail now. Sobering situation, chapter 31, verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I'm now 120 years old and, I no longer, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The only leader they've ever known from their childhood. It's the only leader they've ever known from their childhood says, I am no longer able to lead you. I'm no longer able to lead you. Now, aware of the people's fears, 
in this time of transition of leadership, God gives them these reassuring words in verse 3. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross ahead of you, as the Lord had said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And they can be strong and courageous because of who God is and he points to his immediate track record over the two kings to make his point. God first encouraged the people, now he turns to the, the new leader. And who is the new leader after Moses? Another question for the high schoolers. Who is the leader after Moses? And somebody's pointing to themselves there. Yes, that's right. Uh, somebody who's in this congregation has the same name. Uh, and it starts with J and it's not Jesus. Okay. <laughs> okay, and that is, what's the name of their next leader? Jo Joshua, that's right. Not Jaden. <laughs> that's right. You like to think so, maybe? Okay. Uh, it's Joshua. Not, and uh, in the presence of all the people, the Lord God encourages their new leader, Joshua. Now, leaders in every capacity have their own fears and securities, uh, myself included. And this is what it says here in verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all Israel, so in the front of everybody, he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Well, the message now turns from words of encouragement to words of instruction about what is supposed to happen from verse 9. Verse 9 says this in chapter 31, verse 9, So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, At the end of seven year, every seven years, in the year for cancelling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. All right, another question. What festival is mentioned in verse 10 there? What festival is mentioned in verse 10? Tabernacles, festival of tabernacles. And it takes us back to sermon number 9. Sermon number 9 on chapters 14 to 16. Can anybody remember? This is for the adults as well. What were the names of the other two festivals in chapters 14 to 16? Yes, feast of not of days, not of months, but the feast of weeks. And the other one was the big one, the Passover festival. Well done. Feast of weeks, Passover festival, and the one mentioned here, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths. Now, these, these festivals reminded us that when we gather together, 
we have something to celebrate. Now, as much as we like to revel in miraculous come-from-behind grand final wins from last Sunday night, something to celebrate, we celebrate something far more significant uh, than that. And as chapter 32, verse 4 reminds us, we celebrate the, the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That is what we celebrate. The God in which we trust. And we're challenged not to go through the motions when we gather together. And the reflections that I wrote down on that occasion was saying yes to being intentional about the seasons of celebration that we have in our, in our calendar year. It made me reflect on, on what we do at Christmas and Easter. And for me, you know, it was a bit like making... Christmas is a little bit like trying to survive such a busy time. You lose sight of what it's actually about. So in the preaching schedule for later this year, as I've planned it out in the last few weeks, I've set aside four services to focus on different facets of the Christmas message so that we don't just rush through Christmas. We can actually be thinking about it. Also, from the start of December, uh, leading up to that, uh, those four services, we will also have uh, one Christmas carol from the beginning of December uh, to begin to think about what Christmas means as well uh, in our services. And then during the four services, we'll have uh, Christmas carols through those services. Of these decisions, where I made that decision as a direct result of being challenged by this passage about the way that we think about the, the festivals and, and how we celebrate what, who God is and what he's done. But there's also an, an educational thrust in their celebrations. Verse 12 to 13 says this, Assemble the people, men, women and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now for the older generation, it was about being reminded of what they already knew. But for the younger generation, it was about hearing it for the first time. If it's every seven years, they're hearing, for some of them, they're just hearing it when they're seven years old, the first time. But notice how everyone is included, men, women and children, Foreigners residing in their towns. It's a, it's a reminder of sermon number eight. Number, number eight. Sermon number eight on chapters 12 and 13. When we worship God together, we worship God together. Intergenerational, multicultural family that we are. And we were challenged not to be flippant when we gather for church together. And so I want to say thank you for those who've made the effort whether successful or not, uh, I'm trying to get here on time so you don't disturb other people. So I want to say thank you for those and I thank you for everybody else for being patient with me as you waited in the foyer until the introduction was finished and then you came in with a song. I just want to preserve what's going on at the beginning of the service uh, and uh, remember that we don't want to be flippant about coming to church and our time together. And the importance of involving each generation was unpacked in sermon number five this time. Sermon number five, chapter six. And this is what it said in verse seven of chapter six. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It was in this week that we interviewed Lisa about growing up here in Sunday school. 
she went through Bird Girls High School, as some of you were at, and, uh, and now in her 50s, she's still walking with the Lord. That's uh, despite all the challenges in her life. And we're very thankful for the people uh, who taught her as a child through the Sunday school over here when she was a little girl. And we can see God's fruit in that. So for all of us, including our children, our childlike faith gets tested through the crucibles of life, both in challenging circumstances, but also, as we looked at in the passage in Deuteronomy, in the context of material blessings. Because challenges don't just come from difficult times. They come from good times as well, in times of blessing and material blessing, all of which can steer us away from the Lord, depending on the way that we approach them. Well, verses 9 to 13 speak about what is supposed to happen, but in these final hours, the ageing leader Moses hears that despite all his warnings and encouragements to stay faithful, the exact opposite is predicted in chapter 31, verse 14, and this is where he predicts what will happen as opposed to what is supposed to happen. Verse 14, chapter 31, The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the, at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, You're going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. It's not the kind of news you want to hear on your deathbed. You've invested your whole life leading these people and then this is what you hear. And verse 17 and 18 shows us the sobering consequences of their choices. And in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them and in that day they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. I will hide my face from them. I will certainly hide my face. These are pretty serious expressions. And it's the first time this actual expression appears in the book of Deuteronomy. And it doesn't mean God turned a blind eye, but rather it means he withdrew his favour. He withdrew his favour and gave them over to what they had chosen. It was their choice. Now, there are some things that are hard to understand about God and hard to reconcile, and there's been no shortage of those things in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's a sober reminder of sermon number six. This is number six, chapter seven, sermon six on chapter seven, that on that occasion, Hank this time reminded us that Deuteronomy contains a serious message with a grievous warning. Serious message with a grievous warning. And he challenged us with this question, is God answerable to us? or us to him. We were reminded that every life is answerable to God. God doesn't owe us an explanation. 
but gives us all the opportunity to come before him in humility and trust. This was related to the, the mysterious nature of God that in sermon number three this time, sermon number three, chapter four, and this time it was Kevin, and he showed us how the image of a fire was a symbol of God's presence. It was tangible, but it's not contained. You can sort of see it, but you can't grasp it. And Aaron picked up on this last week in sermon number 11, chapters 27 to 30. This is what he reminded us of in 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. And Aaron used this helpful illustration of a toddler thinking he knows better than the parent. It was a great image. We scoff at the idea of seeing little Samuel standing there thinking he knows better than his dad. The toddler, he's got no idea. But the distance between us and God is far greater than between a two-year-old and their father. Who are we to demand that God owes us an explanation of everything? But we can be thankful that he has revealed what he has. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. And God has revealed things to us. They belong to us for our children forever. Because in his grace, God does give us an explanation of what we need to know. And these closing chapters of Deuteronomy remind us that circumstances alone can't be blamed for a corrupt heart and a decision to say, yeah, nah, to God. The generation brought up with a freedom outside of Egypt will also desert the Lord God, just like the golden calf generation did that was raised within an Egyptian environment. We need a change of heart, not a change of context. A change of heart, not a change of circumstances. And that's what chapter 30, verse 6 points to when it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. And another leader Moses, like Moses is raised up after the time of Jesus. And he writes these inspired words about Jesus in Romans 5. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, this is what God has revealed to us, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Even though our hearts are no different than the generations either side of Moses, God gives us a second chance. It is, and it is often in the transitions of life that prompt us to turn to God in faith and trust. So despite the circumstances of change we may or may not be in we can be strong and courageous knowing that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and finally this brings us to the final section of living in the present reality a couple of last questions for the high schoolers my final questions how many books are there if I use the word Pentateuch how many books are there in the Pentateuch. Do I see five? That's right. What are they? Genesis. 
Yes, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books. Which one did Moses first appear in? Genesis or Exodus? Exodus, yes. He first appeared in Exodus. That means he's, appeared in, he's part of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's four of the five books we're up to. Percentage-wise, that's 80% of the Bible so far, 80%. What a towering figure Moses has been over the opening five books of the Bible so far. This is what it says about him in 34. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. But even Moses, even Moses had his limits. Verse 7, 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Moses had his limits. His eyes were not weak, his strength was not gone. In other words, as a recently dearly departed member of the congregation would say, he still had his marvels and he still understood, but his time was limited according to God. But as much as God had raised up Moses as a powerful leader, the storyline of the Bible is ultimately not about him. And that's what we saw finally, sermon number 10. Sermon number 10, chapter 17 and 18, about the judges, kings, priests and prophets. And we looked at how Jesus stood on the Mount of Transfiguration with two of the greatest figures in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, appearing before him. And God says to Jesus' three disciples, Peter, James and John, watching on, listen, listen to him. Listen to him, listen to Jesus. And as chapter 34 closes, the great leader Moses dies. And we are reminded that it was never about Moses. It was never about Elijah. Their lives were pointing forward to Jesus. Listen to him. Well, there's so much more that we didn't cover in 12 weeks uh, and we, uh, on our journey through Deuteronomy. But as we continue to wrestle with the reality of transitions in life uh, and the temptation to say, yeah, God, I hear you, but nah, I'm not really willing to listen. Let us take great comfort that God's word reminds us that we are at peace with God through Christ and our changing circumstances and the transitions of life are not going to take that away. For as chapter 32, verse 47 says, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these are not just idle words but they are our life. And as we live in the midst of transitions and changes, remind us afresh that you will never forsake those who put their trust in you. Enable us to be strong and courageous, not to be afraid, terrified or discouraged by the challenges we face around us to be faithful to you. Remind us afresh that you are our rock, your works are perfect and all your ways are just how you are a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just in all you do.
In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to, just before we sing a song, I've actually put a piece of paper.